Well, now I have a stinger. Hello and welcome to the Downloadable Concept Podcast, where we're going to talk about titties a lot. Hello, Hello and welcome to the Downloadable Concept Podcast, where we definitely haven't put in this title piece as an afterthought. Hello and welcome to the Downloadable Cleavage Podcast. Jeb Wrench, known as Hoshi no Kirby 3, in Japan, is the fifth platformer game starring Kirby. Kirby is shaped like a friend. Fox Lee 64, The Crystal Shards, is a Kirby platform game developed by HAL Laboratory and published by Nintendo for the Nintendo 64. <laughs> Kirby is shaped like a boob. <laughs> Sometimes you just gotta like a titty. Talon Lee, known in Japan as Kirby Sparkling Kids, is a 1997 puzzle video game developed by HAL Laboratory for the Game Boy. How Personal we... video game? Right puzzle back at game. you. Oh, yes. Um, it's, oh, <laughs> Kirby right back at you was a work of art. I will hear no sliding of Kirby right back at you. <laughs> Welcome, listeners, to the Apparently We're Gonna Argue About Kirby special. Which part, Jeb? The extremely amateurish 3D? The yes. The traditional animation that looked like it was from 1984? Yes. The seamless combination of both. Yeah. <laughs> Don't forget King Dedede's incredible voice acting. That was going to be my next point. <laughs> but personally, I prefer Meta Knight, who is sort of doing an Antonio Banderas thing there. What? Yes. He, he, he has a, a vaguely Spanish accent. What did I miss? Oh, you missed something beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> You've got King DDD who kind of sounds like Foghorn Leghorn. <laughs> and then you have someone doing a really bad Antonio Banderas impersonation for Meta Knight. It's great. Because he's mysterious and sexy, I think. I don't know, I can't tell. He's a big bong ball. There probably are people who find Meta Knight really sexy, aren't there? <laughs> Especially he has when... a mask. I, I think they realized that he was effectively the Bishonen of the Kirby set. <laughs> He is, I, I say he is this, basically Zoro. I say this, I make the funds, but if Prince Fluff was in it, uh, I'd be all about that shit. <laughs> Give me some of that Fluff. Fluff doesn't have a body, he's just a... Are you all about that face? He's got as much of a body as Kirby. But yes, for that matter, I like that he's basically a version of Kirby with a permanent scowl on his face. <laughs> he's friggin' adorable. Let's take Kirby and give him angry eyebrows. <laughs> it works for the advertising in America, apparently. I I'm sorry, is there something wrong with my liking pouty princess? No, nothing at all. I don't know how we wound up in this place, but here we are. You Hello, started it! <laughs> I know, I don't know how it happened. But yeah, uh, Kirby games, eh? Just Wait, leads us right into our topic. <laughs> hey Fox, what have you been playing this week? Uh, what have you been making for other people to play this week? <laughs> Well, there's nothing other people can play yet. I mean, you're a jamming. That that sounds kind of lewd. Yes. <laughs> Ladies. Uh, not quite as lewd as Boob Jam did, which was a real <laughs> jam. I wanted to make something for that, but I couldn't get in gear in time. If it happens again, I'm going to. Mm -hmm. I was going to make a shop about being a uh, an underwear... Sorry, a visual novel about being an underwear store attendant. You had to fit the right bras to the various different shaped women who came into the store. Had different experiences with their boobs. I need an adult. <laughs> I am an adult. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Anyway, that's not what I'm doing for Yuri Jam. I'm not too far into it yet. I have character designs and, and interfaces and whatnot, but it's not really anything interesting to talk about because nothing has changed since last time. That's uh, true. I understand there are a couple of games that have already been finished by other people for the Jam. I haven't played them yet because I'm jamming. <laughs> and I hope you like jamming too. People should like look up the hashtag on Twitter or something. There will be stuff, stuff to play. All right, Jeb, what you been playing? Huh? What? Uh, oh, um, uh, I. Jeb, played... were you distracted by boobies? Sometimes. Um, I was. Uh, I've uh, the the game I played most this week has been Painters Guild. Painters Guild. Painters Guild. It's a. It's a. It is a uh, management sim about running a Renaissance Italian um, art academy. You uh, you get your your patron your pa- uh, people walk in. <laughs> Patreon, didn't you? I was gonna say patrons, but it's not quite a patronage. <laughs> it's close, but not quite. Uh, people will walk up to your guild and you click on them and they say, "Well, I'd like a painting and I'd like it this big." And you plop your easel down, you drag your little painter onto it. It fills up gradually, and you can upgrade your you can upgrade your academy <laughs> and you can hire more painters. And that's <clears throat> yeah, adorable. It has a pixel art version of the creation of man. <laughs> All right. You can defy the church. <gasps> I like any game where I can defy a church. And uh, you can even be a gay lady if you want. Hey. All right. So nice. it goes in with Yuri Jam. There you go. <laughs> but it's really uh, it's really quite impressive. Uh, the, the gameplay itself is repetitive, as you expect from that sort of management game, but... Mm-hmm. I did honestly lose track of time every time I played it, so I can't not <laughs> recommend it. That's pretty cool. Is it is it a good, um, for lack of a better word, is it a good uh, mixed game? Like you you mm-hmm. do some stuff, set your painters on to their tasks, and change your focus to like your phone or your tablet to do other stuff. No, it's way too quick for that. Aha! It, it keeps its pace. Too. It keeps its pace up. Uh, you're always moving your painters about from from painting to mixing paint to studying to resting because they can't just paint all day. And periodically, you'll get uh, invites to, for example, paint the inside of a cathedral or whatnot. And you have to set your painters off for a couple months, and during that time, you hope that you succeed and don't lose out on all your money. <laughs> so, it's pretty ch- so it's pretty charming. It's very endearing. It's made by a by a history teacher from uh, Brazil. Oh, wonderful! You get to paint really appropriate things on the church roof. You'd be like, "Yeah, guys, <laughs> go do that job for a couple of months. I don't know, stick a bunyip in there or something." You don't. <laughs> you don't actually get to see what you paint in the uh, in the in Yo! on the away missions. Well, but you do get it's... to see the the things you you do get to see the things you're painting during when you, when you're at your your art guild. Yeah, given. Given the way that we kind of can trace how Michelangelo viewed the Sistine Chapel, the fact that he covered it in dicks and and signals that he'd been doing illegal things. (laughs) (laughs) By illegal things, do you mean drugs? No, he'd been cutting up bodies. Uh Oh. There's a a diagram of a brain in The Creation of Man, which would not be something for him legal to know about. Ah, I haven't seen that bit. Hmm. I just thought the whole thing looks vaguely like he was high. <laughs> it was the style of the time. Yeah, that's fair. I'm probably reading way too much into that. Anyway, a- anything else you've been having fun with, Jeb? Or anything you've been having not fun with? I don't know. Uh, this, this is your time. Uh, no. <laughs> I'm not going to talk about the things I didn't have fun with. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. I, I can completely understand that. I don't want to. I don't want to lecture anyone about my homework for crying out loud. So Is tell what have you been playing? I have been playing more of the Marvelous Mistake. I've been playing lots of Hotline Miami, and I've <laughs> been playing um, 
Well, at least I did the homework correctly and played something different. <laughs> oh, shit, that's right. I had homework, didn't I? <laughs> ah, fuck it. <clears throat> I have played another game. I've played Armello. Oh, I didn't know you played any of that yet. I have, and it's fucking gorgeous. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. Um, to to carve out a little bit of time to just talk about Armello. Um, when it comes to designing board games on computers, there is sometimes a incentive to make it as pure to a board game experience as you possibly can. Um, I feel that the Talisman digital <laughs> game is slightly uh, prone to this, where Tal- Talisman it is, is literally board- the board game. Yeah, it's it's just a one to one translation, and that's not a terrible thing, isn't it? Limited to four players. Yes, because if that's correct, that is a terrible thing. If all you're going to do is translate the board game directly, I don't know. Talisman like eight <laughs> players that bogs down. But that's that's what Talisman is, though. <laughs> it's if a you're bog. not going to jump all the way into the muck, then there is no point. <laughs> there. Net- don't get a little on your boots. Their roll around net- in that. Their shit. net code can barely ha- can't handle four players. Don't ask them to do yeah. eight. Well, there you go. They're just not very good. The, the point is, the point is that uh, Talisman is very. The Talisman game is very much a direct port of board game mechanics, and that means that in the design, you're just playing a game that you could be playing with physical stuff. Like there's mm-hmm. nothing. There's nothing the computer is doing that you can't do as a human. Assuming you have a gigantic tape. That's true. That's and true. And people uh, nearby. Yeah, I'm not. I don't want to sell those elements of it short. But what Armello does is Armello uses the aesthetics and design of a board game. Like, it talks about dice and it talks about cards. But it uses those fake objects in a way you can't really use in a... Uh, it's like how in, um, in Hearthstone, for example, there are cards that you can put gems into as sockets to customize them. That's not something you can do with a real card game, and it's an advantage of a digital card game. Armello has, uh, Armello has very nicely integrated into its design stuff that the computer is doing that as a tabletop gamer, it would be inconvenient or annoying to handle, but when the computer is handling them, they don't feel out of place. Hearthstone is exactly what I was going to bring up, actually. I remember this discussion came up at that time as well. I'm like, what's what's really the point of putting this card game on the computer? Oh, I see. They're actually using that to do stuff that... It's not like you couldn't do it in real life, but it would be very fiddly. Honest to God, just hit point tracking. Well, yeah. Anytime you try to design a card game, you're always talking about memory issues and the, you know the fewer things you have to keep track of, the better. Yeah. Which you're probably exactly right about, and that's probably why tapping is such a useful thing in Magic. So useful they thought they better stop anyone else from ever using it. But in the opening of Armello, you just in the tutorial, you start off playing a noble wolf who goes to a tavern and beats up someone who is attacking someone else and rescues a squire, which is a hamster. <laughs> and then you wind up having to clash with the guards and the suddenly squire. you're an outlaw. You don't eat the squire. But he's a hamster. <laughs> and you're a wolf. That seems Armello. like what you're supposed to do. Armello is really good looking too. And <laughs> yeah, actually, I, I strongly contemplated buying it before I knew anything about it, just because it looks friggin' amazing. Um, when, when we talk about in game design, tactile objects are really important. Uh, when you when you make a board game, you want to make it so that the stuff the players are handling with any kind of regularity is comforting in a way. Like the the classic little colored cubes. The reason that design has stuck around so long is because they're nice. 
players like touching uh, wood in that context, just generally. Not everyone, but it's... Mm, a- I don't like handling wood that much. You know what I do like? The little glass energy beads from Galaxy Trucker. You want to eat them. They look delicious. <laughs> They're so pretty. I like them. I just like having a handful of them and looking at them and poking them. Yeah. Well, in Armello, despite the fact that their dice don't exist, they still have a really nice tactile feel to them. <laughs> uh, it, the, the dice rolling animation mechanism sound, that's all really nicely done. And to, to get kind of wanky about this, it's not just that they have a dice rolling sound. It's that they clearly have a sound which triggers whenever the dice hits a surface. Ah. And it has some variation, because you can tell that the rolling of the dice sound is different every time you roll more dice, it sounds louder. The dice have an impact sound, not the act of rolling dice has a sound. Yes. On the other hand, the dice are really complicated and annoying, and (laughs) if if you were trying to play this game physically, it would be one of those moments where you tell the expert players, because they didn't even notice that they were tracking the dice so well, and the new players would be like, um, I think I do, um... Ah, crap. Whereas the actual combat is... It's an entirely automated system. You set up a pair of dice rolls that are against each other, and then you work out who wins. No, not like Fire Emblem, really. Mm. Like, there might be an animation, but it's entirely uh, superfluous. Yeah. Lovely. All right. Um, Did you play the bear? I have not gotten to the bear yet. You have to unlock the bear? No, there's four tutorials, and unfortunately I did not get to play through all of them. You start off... I'm getting a look because I haven't gotten to play you the bear. You did not choose the bear? No, you have to play the wolf first. Ah, okay. You play through them in order because they introduce you, you to the new You have to play mechanic. all the tutorials in order? The bear is the last one, yes. Fine. Yeah. Why would they uh, do that? mistake then, not yours. <laughs> because because you start with the wolf, then you move on to the rat, then there's the lynx, I think? And yeah, but then you're, there's the you're bear. Bear. <laughs> yeah. It, it is a really good-looking game. Uh, it's complex enough that I think it's going to be uh, a rewarding thing to get good at, but it's also not inhospitably complicated. Good enough that 10 years from now, everyone's going to be blaming it for furries? <laughs> oh, definitely, definitely. If, if you liked Robin Hood as a kid, you'll probably see a lot of the same uh, feel in Armello. It's it's not furry culture furries. No? Uh, it, does, it doesn't have, to me, that same feel. It feels much more mass market appeal. Anyway, it's also Australian made. Wait, it is? Yeah. Oh, rad. I, Let me guess they're from Melbourne. I have a suspicion I know people who've worked on Armello and they just don't talk about it. <laughs> That's cool. Anyway. Yeah. I, I, Hold on, let me games. look at my inbox. <laughs> I, got tons of, I got tons of press lists that never sent us a code. No. Um, also, I will be trying to arrange a point where I can grab, say, three or four friends and play some Armello together. Oh, multiplayers? Yes, multiplayers. Excellent. So you have it through Steam, or... You, I speak to you. Yes, I have it through Steam. <laughs> the I, only person who has it. We'll have to get yeah. a separate copy. <laughs> Not like Dog, where you're speaking allowed to... At, speaking to the one person stuff. who actually has it. <laughs> yes, it it was a gift, in fact. I want to say thank you very much to the person who gave it to me. Uh, yay, whoever that was. That was Caitlin Gad, the Gateland Cad. And now it's time for Retro Gaming News. All the news that's fit to print for the month of September 2009. Brought to you by Tinnies. They're awesome, and you must respect them. Perfect. So, <laughs> September 2001, in world events, pretty important stuff happened. Also, some games got released at a really bad time. <laughs> Sorry? What stuff? September 11th. <laughs> world Trade Center. Tax. Oh, yeah, no. The, the basic Jeb start, Jeb started university. <laughs> oh, that was important. <laughs> The, the uh, re- no, I, get, I thought you said 2001, actually. I did. Wasn't that 2000? That was 2001. Uh, 2001. Uh, world events. 
First up, going through the month chronologically, we have ourselves a turn-based strategy game on a handheld platform. Advance Wars? It's probably Pokemon. It's Advance Wars. It's the very first Advance Wars. Came out in September 2001 on the GBA. Was that the beginning of that franchise? I thought there was actually an older one that it was born from. I don't know. Maybe I am misremembering. It just seems to me that the first Advance Wars would be on the Game Boy Advance. (laughs) But yeah, good point. Yep, it was the it was genuinely the very first Advance Wars. Yeah, okay. I must be thinking of something else. Um, yeah, it was uh, a fairly nice, vividly coloured. I, I like that period during the GBA's life where they realised that they had a bright colour palette after dealing with the Game Boy Colour, where everything had to be kind of <laughs> basically tinted monochrome. To be fair, almost everything on the GBA was pretty lively. Mm. It, you know, games were still allowed to be adorable at that point. And ultimately, you couldn't do di- you couldn't do dingy and grim very well on a GBA, especially if you were playing it outdoors. Like anything that wasn't bright, you wouldn't be able to see. So until the SP came along. Well, yes. Had my problem with the SP though. Like I found my palms were too close together. I couldn't play it without my hand setting. I, I have I have very tiny baby hands, so the, the GBASP <laughs> was pretty stubby hands. The, the GBASP but... was just about perfect for me. That's cool. I really wish I had one I have, again. I kind of want. I kind of want to play Tactics Advance again. You can't pick them up on eBay for pretty cheap. <laughs> no, they've passed that threshold now. I think. Hmm. Oh yeah, it was the original DS I was looking at on the GBA? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I can fit an SP in the palm of my hand. It's <laughs> It's a very different beast to me. It's it's too small. Yeah. No, that's what I'm saying. It was too small for me, even. <laughs> Which I guess is because my hands are wide rather than long, because I, I stubby little munchlax fingers. Um, do you remember it all? We, we have a friend who is six foot eight at the time, and he was playing... How tall is he now? <laughs> well, he's, he's shrunk a little. Um, <laughs> he's always been six... Well, for the he's, time we've known... He's always been six foot eight. His entire life, he was born <laughs> six foot eight. I'm talking about Mornglash. It's very painful. Yeah, he's 6'6". Fair enough. Either way, watching watching him play a GBA was like watching Andre the Giant handle a beer can. It's it's just not... Watching him drive a car was like seeing Andre the Giant handle a beer can. (laughs) He's just a huge guy. All right. We have a game that picked probably the worst release date accidentally. So, yeah. Uh, It's a platform game on the GBA. Cornella? It involves... Yes! It's a Kanoa game. It's Empire of Dreams, then. It's Empire of Dreams, which was released on September 11. Really? Wow. This is a fucking excellent game, by the way. I love it. I lost my copy when I lost all my GBA games at one point, but I would buy it again if I saw it. And the funniest part to this to me is setting aside the tragic event of that day. That's also the same day that Nickelback released an album. <laughs> Speaking of tragedies. connected. <laughs> you should have played that, actually. That was the tragic event of that day. And Clono had the terrible misfortune to launch on the same day as Nickelback's album. <laughs> All right. Now, this is back back in the day of the PlayStation 2, PlayStation 1, Game Boy Advance 64, that whole genre. Cross-platform games usually weren't particularly amazing. Certainly not if they were all released at the exact same time, because that usually indicated they were franchise tie-in. So this is a franchise tie-in game made by THQ mm. for a franchise that I think is still going. The The TV show it's based on is still going. Is this a SmackDown game? No. Though it starts with an S. Is it a kid's show? It's a kid's show. Is it, like, it is a show, not a movie franchise? It's a show, it's a show. It has a movie franchise. In fact, the movie... It's not Shrek. Yes, it's not Shrek. The movie franchise has David Hasselhoff with robotic pectorals in it. Is it a Spongebob game? Oh, oh, it's Spongebob! (laughs) Yes! 
SpongeBob SquarePants Super Sponge, which was a PlayStation 1, Nintendo 64, Game Boy Advance game that were all released on the same day in September. Can I say a thing here in the bracket? Yeah. If you're making a franchise game and it's, you know, released across a bunch of platforms and therefore it is necessarily a different game across those platforms, fucking give it different names. <laughs> I'd be worried so that's not a different shit. game. I'd, I'd be worried that they just ported the, the GBA game to all of the systems. <laughs> if they did, you know, I'm fine with that. Probably not a great business decision, but that's up to them. I just... Ah! Oh. <laughs> This really shits me. <laughs> like, more so than than just reboots with the name of the original game. Speaking of which, I'll be playing mm. Tomb Raider in a couple weeks. Uh, I've got a friend who's been talking to me a lot about Mortal Kombat. Uh, you all suck, did you know but that? But isn't the new thing? Mortal Kombat called Mortal Kombat 10? And I've also been trying to get my hands on Syndicate. Or Rain of... Yeah, see, this is a play. Or Satellite well, Rain. Well, Satellite Rain <laughs> looks better now. <laughs> Like if I had if I had to split my money if it was a, if I, someone gave me the money to buy one or two of those games I'd go get Satellite Rain I wouldn't go get Syndicate even though Syndicate does interest me even if they gave you the money for two of those games which was part of your proposed condition one or two <laughs> you uh, would only buy Satellite Rain one of those two but yes you're right okay. I did trip up in my words sorry I didn't realize that was what you were doing the GameCube came out on September 14th in Japan <laughs> that was its launch day huh. so again. Not a time where people were paying tons of attention to video games. It's the first console I had any time near when it was released. Yeah. Because one of the places near us had a massive special on it, and Shrike and I split the price. So, here we have a PlayStation game, PlayStation 2 game made by Tecmo, which is filed under the genre of Life Simulator. Oh. Tecmo? Did a Tecmo. Life Simulator? Tecmo doesn't do Harvest Moon. It's not Harvest Moon. Wait. Just Tecmo? Not like Tecmo? Koi? <laughs> this. No, developed by Tecmo, published by Tecmo. Well, it was Tecmo back then. It would be Tecmo Koi now, but... It used cel-shaded graphics. A life simulator. A life simulator. Fuck yeah. On the PS2? It was seen as... as it, it's part of a franchise, and it's a sequel. And they didn't do Animal Crossing. No, Tecmo. not Animal it's Crossing. Nintendo first party. Yep. Um, and the game was seen to be, by Western consumers, in contrast or competition with Pokemon. Di uh, PS2? Digimon? Yeah. Jake Nope, nope, Digimon. Nope. Monster Rancher 3. There was a Monster Rancher on a home console? <laughs> I played the terrible GBA one. It was terrible. <laughs> Tell us more about the terrible GBA one that was terrible. It was terrible. Oh, okay. Like, I don't remember anything else about it. It was terrible. All right. Moving on. We have... An MMO of sorts. Of sorts? Of sorts. Fantasy Star Online. Yes! <laughs> yes, Fantasy Star Online for the Dreamcast. Oh, for the Dreamcast. I was gonna I was gonna guess the GameCube version, so I technically failed. Specifically Dreamcast version! Ha yay! Specifically Fantasy on Fantasy Star Online version two, which was the expansion pack that came out in September two thousand and one. Ah. So that almost is Fantasy Star Zero. I'll give myself credit. Oh, sorry, not Fantasy Star Zero. What did they freaking call it? You could they re-released Fantasy Star Online with another slightly different name for the GameCube. That's what I remember. That you could uh, that you could dial up with your 56k Dreamcast modem. <laughs> if you're in Australia, only on Big Pond. <laughs> yep. Fuckers. It was it was a legitimately impressive feat to get a fairly fast-paced action RPG ah. to work on 56k modems. 
I, I frown not on these guys. I just resent the fuck out of how the Dreamcast internet connectivity was handled in this country. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was a fucking racket. That and there was so much... Uh, you, you know that whole you can you can exchange storage space for processor time thing? Apparently that game used the GD-ROM and just <laughs> says like, well, let's just have massive, massive tables of math already done. Ah. <laughs> on, this is how we're going to make it render right. these 3D models quickly. We're just going to dump it all to the to the disk in storage <laughs> space. Alright, now we're getting into the realm of what people start considering classics. Good classics, bad classics, it's kind of a contentious issue. You think Empire of Dreams is not a classic? Uh, I would not dare malign Empire of Dreams, but I don't think that many people know about it. Well, they should know. Well, they will after they listen to this podcast. They should know about it like I know about it after getting 100% on all the bonus stages, motherfucker. Ow. Oh, sorry. (laughs) That that hand has my wedding ring on it. I just got punched in the hand with a titanium ring. There's some poetry to that. I injured my husband with my wedding ring. (laughs) And now Banksy's doing a piece on it. (laughs) We finally know who Banksy is. It's you. Thanks, <laughs> he's nah, from Tripod. Wait, no one gets that. <laughs> For the longest time, I thought that's who people were talking about when they mentioned Banksy. Yeah, there's an Australian comedy musician who has the name Banksy. I, I did not get what they were talking about. Political? Mm-hmm. Oh, I guess, kind of. The last song I heard it do was about a reindeer with no face. <laughs> yes. So, <laughs> it re- represents capitalism. <laughs> actually with the the christmas symbol yeah, yeah okay the Fair government enough. is actually bad that's gross <laughs> all right we have and there's the there's the, the banksy weirdest... kojima team up governments that go to war are bad <laughs> Put it. all right so this is one of the weirdest games about local government you will ever play animal crossing it's a remake of a 1989 arcade game oh it has some fairly surprisingly enduring characters, given that there's basically no dialogue and its English translation was done by a team of chimpanzees. Are you the president, the governor, or saving the president or the governor? You are not saving the president or the governor, but you have the option of playing a government member. A government member. Is this a final yes. fight game? It is final fight, yes! Is he not the governor? No, he's, he's a mayor. The mayor. Mayor, mayor Hager. Mike Hager. So close. He's the mayor of no shots. The mayor of abs. Yes, yes. It was. It was. Re, uh, Final Final Fight was re-released as Final Fight One on the GBA. Nice, <laughs> optimistic. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Just uh, you know, it's Final Fight. What do you want of it? It's gonna be exactly what it says it is. It's Mike Hagar yeah, punching people and doing pile drivers. And chest or you could play as the other guy. Solve problems. <laughs> or you could play as the other guy. Ooh, exactly. You can play as the other guy in theory. There are two other guys. That's how other guy the other guy you is. You can play as one of the other guys in theory. Or you could play Mike Hagar, who is German suplexing himself to a fifty percent approval rating. <laughs> like people who play any of the main two in Street Fighter. Just what are you doing? Well, Ryu has Let's a beard see, now. <laughs> yeah, have you seen this? All the people going mad about Hot Ryu. So he's less generic but uglier now? Well, these are people who like dudes with beards. Muscly dudes are. with beards, some people like that, and they're like, hey, this is hot. Yep. It's like, okay, yep. enjoy what you like. Yes. 
So call him Butteryu or something. Just don't call him Hot Ryu. That's not fair. That's a universal judgment. So the note. I think is... the most common. It's the like most referring to one of the, the most. The, mo- the most. The most common I heard that actually was Dad Ryu. So yeah, definitely. Oh God, Dad Gaming, it's back. <laughs> ah! Well, with, with um, that, by the way, that fifty percent approval rating, it's because there are the people who want to see him German suplexing people, and the other fifty percent are the people he's German suplexed. <laughs> There is an occasional wiggle room for some people who enjoyed being German suplexed. So, just saying. <laughs> Alright, now we have two games that are generally held up as iconic classics of this era. One of them is a quiet, seemingly isolated, but you're not actually isolated, kind of puzzle-climbing action-adventure game. Eco? Which is... There you go. Yeah. You say Eco. 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 Ico. I-C-O. Oh, oh, right. Ah, right. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Which, of course, thanks to Ico existing, we got Shadow of the Colossus. So even if I didn't like Ico, I'd be like, well, go you. <laughs> and thanks to Shadow of the Colossus, we're not getting The Last Guardian. No, really. Well, they, they, they said it this time. It's like, well, we're getting it. They said that last time. Did they not rolled that back yet? They say a lot they of They haven't rolled it back yet. I mean, they, they have said this for, like, ten years. <laughs> I, I, I'm at peace with whatever happens with The Last Guardian. Because if we get it, we get The Last Guardian. If we don't get it, I don't have to watch The Last Guardian die. (laughs) Either way, I can take something good out of this. Exactly. Alright, and finally, we have kind of a trope codifier game. Skies of Arcadia. For horror. Ah. Silent Hill 2? Silent Hill 2. (laughs) There are some games who cast such a shadow, you can't really talk about them subtly. Which is ironic for Silent Hill 2. Jeb guessed it instantly. There's a reason that even I could have guessed that. (laughs) Yes, Jeb, please, talk about Silent Hill 2 and subtlety. (laughs) Uh, Silent Hill 2 doesn't have subtext. It just has text. (laughs) Yes, lots of text. But it still manages to be atmospheric and chilling and genuinely disturbing, which... Is for the for the the time in video game horror just was kind of outside its jurisdiction. Yeah, hmm. I also like the idea that unfortunately they didn't work with very well, which was making the Silent Hill concept space into an anthology rather than just directly trying to carry on the story from Silent Hill One. They instead went, well, let's let's put another person through the experience of Silent Hill. Mm-hmm. But after that point, it all kind of went a bit off the rails. I would rather they do different protagonists, though. Yeah. Because if you reuse a horror protagonist, yeah. then you eventually start going, wait, why does this really bug them anymore? Well, that, that, mean... that gets you Edward Carnby, who, you know... Yeah, good point. ...has to try and act like he's horrified by seeing a zombie when we know full well... John Constantine by the end of it. He's been turned into a cat at one point and also died. And I do mean John Constantine in this case. Oh, yes, the, the American version. Well, they did. Like, I mean, when they brought him back for Alone in the Dark, the reboot, they gave uh... him time travel and him. Uh, have you seen the latest rendition of the Alone in the Dark franchise? There's a latest rendition of the Alone in the Dark franchise? He asked, waiting for the, more information. The latest installation of the Alone in the Dark franchise is a team squad-based over-the-shoulder yes. shooter yes. where you have to use yes. pools of light yes. to make the enemies hurtable. Yes. <laughs> the Alone in the Dark game... Is about not being alone yes. and yes. not being in the yes. dark. Yes. Yes. So one can somewhat assume that was also true of Alone in the Dark. Inferno! <laughs> alone in the Dark, everything is fire. 
fire not known for its light producing qualities, but you know. The really frustrating thing about that is that the fire, the fire dynamics are really, are really good. good. <laughs> If they'd have called well, it, this is another the, problem with franchises. There are so often franchise entries that would have been just, just if this hadn't been pretending to be this. If this wasn't yeah, this alone in the dark, if this good. was hanging out with some people in New York and things are on fire, it would have been fine. Yeah, <laughs> but you know that some of the people in the tech department wound up developing some amazing fire dynamics and look, looking around really nervously and sweating of like, can we use this in the next game? Yes. Or we're going to get fired. Really good. <laughs> I sold a copy of that on eBay for a friend, which still had its original price sticker on it, and he evidently paid $140 for it. Which is just criminal. Come to Australia. You can get screwed on video game prices. God. Uh, And yeah, that that was 2001. Unless you guys want to... Unless you two want to try and make a guess about Ooga Booga. Well, Fatal Frame would have been somewhere in that time stream, too. That sounds familiar, I'm sure. Apparently apparently Fatal Frame was not a 2001 game. Oh, What else you got? Let's roll down the list and see what we've even heard of. Oh, well, continuing from September. Again, I have lost all control, listener. <laughs> we've uh, decided we're going to do oh, more. Fuck it, October, let's you can go. Tell, you can tell by how hard he resisted my suggestions just then. Uh, Devil May Cry came out? Oh, that's a yeah. fairly notable title. But that was in October. Oh, oh right, I'm okay. in September. Yeah. Did Devil May Cry 1? Yeah. Well, the uh, PlayStation Dark Two was only the, 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 the PlayStation Two had only been out for like a year, all, not even a year at that point. So yeah, the GameCube launched that month. Um, Doom came out on the GBA. Yes, <laughs> yes, that's pretty great. Yes. Um, <laughs> I wonder how badly Doom would play on a D-pad. Uh, when you've got the shoulder buttons to strafe with, probably not as bad as you think. Oh, yeah, it's not a bad. Thought. I mean, you you played it with arrow keys. Soul Reaver. Soul Reaver was neat. Legacy of Cain? Soul Reaver, Legacy of Cain, yeah. yeah. Uh, Golden Sun. Ah, I would have gotten that one. Well, this is October. We're November. wasting it. <laughs> and we were going to talk about JRPG. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so let's JRPG is always a quest. Let's talk not about Crash Bandicoot, The Wrath of Cortex, and instead... <laughs> <laughs> that exists. It's real. <laughs> Oh, some games are wonderful just from the name. <laughs> what, like Sonic Boom, The Rise of Lyric? That, well, yes, that is in fact the name of a fan character I made when I was nine. But... Was he a... Never sn- guess what his offsider was called. Was he a snake? <laughs> was he snake? <laughs> friend, friend is doing some card game development uh, right now over on my main computer, and, and she's, she's trying to make a game that is a Metal Gear Solid ridiculous monologue card game to play... <laughs> To play while you're slightly drunk. That's beautiful. And so I love your friend. Into, <laughs> yes, the cards are divided into four suits, which um, fight feels um, <laughs> fight, fight feels tech and snack. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, you can get a winning hand by just going snack, snack, snack. <laughs> Wait, are all the snack cards snack? Well, they meant to be sneak, but oh. but snack happened, and then snack yeah. happened. This this is the this is the one one of the ideas we had was you you deal out at the start of the game two cards to everyone at random, and they have a pair of bullshit words on them, and that's your that's your can. Like so, we had what is it? Capybara, brick, and bear dog. <laughs> and that's their handle. Did yes. I ever tell you about? They also did I ever tell you about the game uh, Grave Robbers from Outer Space? No, it, it is literally a it is, it is a card game about creating a, a B movie, like a, a B sci fi movie horror movie thing. 
And you have to go through, you you play your characters out, you, you know, you have different locations, and then things happen to them, like there's cards like, we've seen your boobs and now you must die, which is destroy target female character. (laughs) Except, except, except the virgin, except the virgin, sorry. Were we not discussing how you must respect boobs? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But at the, at the bottom of all the cards is a word, and the name of your movie (laughs) is dealt to you at the start of it, (laughs) off these words in your opening hand. I think we're going to say the name of your movie is what you read off of these cards on the final stack. Nice. No, you get you get the movie you get the movie at the start. So, <laughs> in in the game in Middleware, one of the ideas I was having was that the servers would have on the backs of the cards random components of corporation names, <laughs> so that when you dealt out the server, you're like, oh, we're fighting against Mega Globo Corpo Hexa uh, Tetrodex today. I actually love things like that in card anyway, games. JRPGs. Oh yeah, those exist. JRP- I we supposed to talk about those this week. Well, we tried. We don't have to. They came up in class. Speaking of titties. Yes. <laughs> the argument got forwarded based on some YouTube channel, which I'm sure it's quite important, and I would be able to remember the name if I watched it myself. But we watched it in class where the argument was forwarded that uh, JRPGs disappeared, and now they've come back. But are the new JRPGs really JRPGs? I mean, Child of Light was being called by its developer a JRPG, and he's from Montreal. Are they sure they don't just mean that good JRPGs vanished and then sort of came back, but are they the same as they used to be? I kind of want to make a glib joke about someone from Montreal pretending he's not from the country he's in. No, well, no, the, the, our, our government does that to the Quebecois anyway, so... <laughs> oh, nasty. Ooh. Yes, the idea Now, for those of... of you who don't understand Canadian politics, this might sound... Might sound that might sound weird. <laughs> the, the idea was, does... There exists some fundamentally Japanese property about the construction of JRPGs that makes them more true or real. And I forwarded the idea in class that that's a load of bunkum. <laughs> well, the JRPG I... as we know it is just kind of a formula. It's, it's a, it is in of itself a genre. It's not just an RPG from Japan. I've heard people refer to Dark Souls as a JRPG, and I'm sorry, <laughs> it's not. Yeah, that. Mm, the, that's the, a bit the whole of a thing reach. about the, the whole thing about genres is that the the use of a genre term is to inform someone about what the game is. By saying it's an RPG from Japan doesn't really tell you anything unless you have a, a set of terms as to what the Japanese style RPG means. Yeah. Well, I guess the issue is that saying it's an RPG from Japan used to mean what JRPG means now, but it's been a fairly long time since that was true. You know, not not for a while now has that been true. It, uh, you know, used to be a general observation. I do still think there are identifiably different things about JRPGs that come from Japan versus JRPGs that are made elsewhere, but... No, that's not what makes the difference between them being JRPG or not anymore. Mm. It's not like you can't tell, basically. I the point that like the one data point that stood out for me about the JRPG was Earthbound. Explain. Earthbound was very very American in its design. So the argument that the video forwarded was that any any Japanese game, any JRPG game, is going to bring with it. Japanese tropes, background elements, and narrative components. Like the the Shinto shrine you can go and pray at uh, in the Persona games. And I was of the opinion that Earthbound really very tightly winds itself around a 
Charles Schultzian view of America. Mm. Like, it, even the music of that game is all homages to classic American culture. And I don't think that makes Earthbound not a JRPG. No. I mean, Earthbound at its core is Snoopy meets Cthulhu. That in itself is kind of J. <laughs> <laughs> I, I get what you're saying, though. I do think that if you were to analyze views of America that come from America and views of America that come from Japan, you might find that uh, Earthbound or Mother is not all that similar to uh, to a vision of America you would get from actual Americans. But I can't really back that up with any good examples, well, so it's going to have to just Earthbound, be a speculation. Earthbound is very much about things like baseball and apple pie. Yeah, you, you one, one of the major elements of the game is regularly calling up your dad and having leave it to beaver style talks with him yeah yeah but it's the the viewpoint of that that i'm talking about not what actually goes on but how it's presented i don't know maybe it's just because the kind of media that it's drawing on which is of course older than earthbound itself is stuff that didn't penetrate this country and certainly didn't get through to people from our generation except those who had weird throwback environments but I'm looking across the like table. Like yeah, was you're right. In the 1800s. Yeah, it's pretty weird. There aren't a lot of Gilbert and Sullivan references in modern video <laughs> games, except for Mass Effect. So, uh, well, <laughs> except for the fact that everyone likes the the Major General song. Poses. Anyway, <laughs> uh, yeah, the 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 idea that there is now uh, part of this is that there is like multiple applications of the word JRPG, and we we like to pretend that it's one word with a meaning and sometimes extra usages but really it's a term with multiple usages you have you have a historical view where if you if you want to talk about that particular window of time from like 1985 through to say 1999 of that very particular brand of menu based combat uh, the the uh, thing is, the thing is, the Dragon, oh, Quest. Dragon Quest. Really, you mentioned like Dragon Quest, and the, the early Dragon Quests, and and, uh, and the SMTs, final, the early Final Fantasies and whatnot. And really, when you're when you look at those, you're not looking at it with the you're not looking at the these fantasy environments having you know the Shinto shrines and the and the the Japanese style marketplaces that you see in a Persona game, or even like um, more fantasy things like some aspects of the Tales games. Yeah. You, yeah, those are very deliberately westernized. They are highly westernized, and yet I don't think anyone is going to argue that Final Fantasy 1, even though it's D&D, isn't a JRPG. <laughs> though, yeah. there's a, a corollary to that, which is that the the trappings of western fantasy at that time were still very historically I remember being weirded out the first time I watched fantasy anime by the fact that the characters spoke like people, whereas characters from fantasy books that were being produced at that time spoke like yieldy fashion-y people. <laughs> hmm. um, so, I guess what I'm saying is there's also a difference between Japanese westernized fantasy and the fantasy that was being done in the West at the time. Like, there is a, a distinctiveness about that particular subgenre. There's also a side effect of the exporting of media in that there was a period of time where effectively the British Empire and its extensions were exporting culture to Japan and not really absorbing anything back. Aside oh, for from, sure. You know, tea. Uh, tea. <laughs> we'll have everyone's tea. <laughs> we'll have everyone's tea and while we're in the Asian area we'd like some opium, please. 
Anyway, the point being that there, there is a cert, there, there was a certain degree of one-way transfer where Japanese sources were absorbing American and British and our yeah. fantasy culture, Western fantasy culture, and that can you, you can make the argument that that means that that the JRPGs effectively being Westernized doesn't necessarily um, reflect on an exchange of information as much as it does about values that were already around the people no, in no. question. And I'm not suggesting they were in any way pressured to do it. This was this was an exciting thing. Mm. This was bits of an exotic, different culture. Mm. It's, uh, what was it we were talking about? Evangelion? Yes. And how it uses Christian mythology not out of some <laughs> deep, carefully planned, apocalyptic meaning, but in the same way that... We use we, Norse myth. Yeah. <laughs> or, for that matter, uh, Asian myth these days. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. magic martial arts and bullshit. And and the the infamous uh, Oriental riff, you know, that da, 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 oh god, which literally never came from Japan. Yeah, or, not like, even Oriental it, in the first place. It was made up by a couple of Americans on a soundstage, going, "What sounds Asiany?" <laughs> sounds like what they be into, which is hilarious because if you know anything about Asian music, the first thing you learn is no, no, not really, no, not <laughs> they, at all, really. They don't use the same meter system as we do. They use the same scales at last year. Yeah, so. It's a. It is an interesting issue, and the idea of the resurgence of the JRPG. I, I I want to forward the idea that that's an issue of cost of assets. In that the early days of the JRPG, designs were massively constrained by what they could put onto a cart. They didn't have a lot of storage space. They didn't have a lot of um, processor power. So games had to try and be simple in a lot of ways. Static images simple cut fades that kind of thing and that meant that this combat systems it was it was easier to make a turn-based combat system that worked on a back and forth than necessarily a, a real-time combat system even as jrpgs got more advanced and started using stuff like that and now we have the small house developer the indie developer and indeed the creation of tools that are explicitly about making jrpgs now, the question then arises, would... I don't think any of us can answer this because none of us have played Child of Light, but... I played Child of would Light. Would you... Oh, yeah. Would you, be, would you be willing to consider it a kind of JRPG? I would call it a Japanese-style role-playing game in a heartbeat because it, it has the, the same interactions, like the, the same form of interactions, just with a, a bit of a timing element. Mm-hmm. Um, even though it's a 2D exploratory game, but so was... Uh, really? So was Dragon Quest? Yeah. <laughs> Final Fantasy IV. Is it? I didn't think Child of Light was an RPG, except in the dictionary sense of those words. Well, it's a turn. It, it, it is very much a turn-based combat. Choose your actions from yeah. the menu. Game. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you. I, I was just ga- totally level, misunderstanding its gameplay. Gain gain experience points and level up and get new abilities. <laughs> if, if you're looking I... at the the JRPG checklist, <laughs> Child of Light nails them all. <laughs> Just like Anachronox so pursu- um, does. Yeah. So, pursuant to what Talon was saying about uh, budgets, uh, is, is this why people are talking about JRPGs not really being like what they used to be? I mean, that's got to account for a lot of why they're now, uh, you know, tend to involve overblown cinematics and uh, over-designed J-pop idol characters. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which also leads me to wonder, like, when we're getting things that are like classic JRPGs these days, they're coming from indie makers. So I gotta wonder if there's an indie scene in Japan where this shit is still getting made quite a lot and they just don't make their way over here because they're, you know, who who can afford to translate a thing when you've done an indie game. 
the research I did last, and this is two years old now, not last year, but two years ago I did research into the Japanese gaming scene's market, and I know that the indie game development scene, you know, the people who are actually making small games and swapping them around on the PC, 90% of all game sales on the PC are visual novels of some variety. Oh, sure. I, I'm not even necessarily talking about PCs. Mm. Um, I, where are you going with that? No, I... I was saying that you know 90% of that market is visual not 90% of the PC market right now in Japan was right now was nine, was visual novels. So if there is RPG stuff happening the, the JRPG being made and distributed on small front ends it's not it's going to be that 10%. It's going to be sitting in that little 10%. Or it's not on PC. Yeah, though again indie development on a not PC that's much easier than it used uh, to be. Yeah. Yeah, true. That's what I'm thinking. Um what was I going to say? Uh, also, percentages are a little bit tricky because, like, what is the market like? Historically, it's been massive, and I don't know how it measures up against the Western market these days proportionally. Obviously, the Western market's exploded. Well, here's yeah. another thing, though. Where do you fit in things like Record Keeper? What's that? Where do you fit in Final Fantasy Record Keeper? Yeah. I don't know this one. Is this the mobile game? It's the game? mobile game, that is, that plays like a traditional Final Fantasy game. Ah. <laughs> and what about uh, All the Bravest? I'm glad they finally did that. All the Bravest? All the Bravest, which is basically oh, a... that's the other Final Fantasy mobile thing. Yeah, which which is, you know, let's kindly call it a pachinko machine. Hey, which is like, you know, microtransact within an inch of your life, please. Yeah. You like Final Fantasy, right? Give it all your money. Yeah. Huh. Well, the, well, I think there's, a, there's, a, a whole, uh, there's a whole aspect to people who just define JRPGs as games like Final Fantasy. Mm. And so if yeah, we ever, if we see that games like Final if we see that Final Fantasy isn't quote-unquote, doing as well as we think it should be. And let me tell you, well, Final Fantasy thirteen sold amazing, so let's not sing the death knell yet. Uh, no, but it's also, it's worth observing that Final Fantasy isn't very much like Final Fantasy anymore. <laughs> well, the, I, I believe at the moment the most widely played Final Fantasy that exists is Final Fantasy fourteen, which has passed 7 million consistent subscribers, which is oh, a the, pretty uh, impressive yeah. number for an MMORPG. That's that's approaching for, wow. For a subscription-based MMOs. MMOs are a little different, though. Yeah. Sorry, Fox? MMOs are a little different, though. Yeah, it's true, but it still means that the biggest thing with the name Final Fantasy on it right now is a real-time oh, action I MMORPG. Which is not really a JRPG by any... With really natty combat <laughs> and no menus. It's got menus. It's got lots of menus. It's got lots of menus. I tried playing that again, though. I actually have an X-Input controller. <laughs> lots of menus. I... Before, I I really liked mapping that game to a controller, actually, with the the radius and the movement mechanics that were involved. I found it a fuck of a lot easier to play that with a control stick. Mm-hmm. Um, but the first controller I had to map it to only had one shoulder button on either side. So I did actually run out of buttons. <laughs> and I wound up using the uh, turn on analog or digital uh, button on that controller to do menus or something. So I just had to remember to keep pressing it and then use X to get out of the menu instead to leave it on analog. <laughs> it was not ideal. So with that, with all that, you know, interesting discussion done, can you think of a JRPG you've enjoyed recently to wrap up? Uh, like how recent are we talking? <laughs> I'm deliberately not defining that. What is the last JRPG you enjoyed? <laughs> well, I mean, are you talking about like... Setting aside chron- childhood life. <laughs> I was going to say, chrono- like, you know, by chron- chronological release date. <laughs> well, because I really I liked hope. Bravely Default. Hey, uh, 
I suppose if Pokemon counts, then Pokemon. Oh yeah, Pokemon. You know, the, the whole idea that JRPGs are, have struggled ignores <laughs> the existence of Pokemon entirely. That's in, true. In the video, he actually says, sure, Pokemon's doing okay, but it's its own thing. Like, fuck you! <laughs> if you ignore I the do. evidence that exists, what is this? Is this, is this a Baptist preacher? <laughs> I do kind of think Pokemon is a subgenre, but I I do think it's a subgenre of JRPGs. Yeah. Well, so, if it weren't for know. Pokemon, we never had uh, things like like Jade Cocoon, which I mentioned before. We never had the the game where you catch monsters and and rub them together and they become other monsters that fight for you. Jade Cocoon was cool. Oh, Mega Ten. <laughs> and if we hadn't had uh, well, if we hadn't had Mega Ten, we wouldn't have Pokemon probably. Yeah. And if we true. hadn't had uh, Final Fantasy Tactics, we wouldn't have Devil Survivor, which is again very dear to my heart. I don't think you can credit Final Fantasy Tactics for all the tactical RPGs. I thought it was the first one, but no, 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 no. Well, you still got things Good. like. Good point, but you can do things like armor. Ooga battle, roughly a million years ago, something like that. Oh, yeah. And there was a there was a D and D. There was an AD, a second edition A D and D tactical strategy uh, sort of role playing oh, game. Christ! That by the way, that was on the fucking C sixty four. By the way, with all the D and D video games that are out there, how did they never make like a? Okay, in the modern era, let, let's assume that we're not going back any further than, say, Baldur's Gate. Yeah, we're not going but, to the Menzon Bazaar. The what? The, the Menzon Bazaar. That's some Drow thing, isn't it? Yes. <sighs> Fuck Drow. Anyway. Um, th- how have they not done just a, like, straight-up grid-based tactical RPG with the... Oh, I would be so good these days. Just a 4th ed I'm thinking D&D. of 4th ed in particular. Like, the, the tactical movement was so well codified by then. If you could just <laughs> program that into a shell, <laughs> let you just like a te- GMs release content for that set. Like, you know, do a little big planet fucking thing. Go, here's 4th ed D&D. Make your maps. Make your shit. Put it on our system. Other people can play it. I mean, wonderful. I suspect Jeb has a good answer for this. Neverwinter Nights? Well, I was was figuring you were going to say something along the lines of wizards aren't very good with games. Neverwinter Nights was a nasty-ass hybrid of D&D mechanics and real-time crap. It it did not work well. Well, it worked worked best for me when I was playing it as just... The real, or just D&D mechanics ignoring the real-time aspect. Also, if you're one of the Neverwinter Nights players out there who ever played a feral animist, you're welcome. <laughs> could you really even do that? Like, I mean, okay, you could you could make it act in mostly a turn-based fashion, but, like, you couldn't get grid movement no. back, could you? Not yeah. really. So there's, like, you know, no matter how much but that's you also, that's also from closer to straight-up D&D. That's, that's also a remnant of 3rd edition. Yeah, but that's a good thing. That's what I'm saying. I I want that in it. I don't want the half-assed version of it. Like, you know, you could flip Baldur's Gate 2 to be more or less turn-based as well, but that did not serve the same purpose. It just made it more awkward. Anyway. But yes, that, also, that, that, wizard is, wizards are bad thing. at making game, at, at video games. They are bad at making games. They're so bad at video they're, games. They're video. Did, did Origins come out? Did Origins come out Origins? yet? Oh, Magic Ar- right. Origins come out yet? Yeah. <laughs> Like the quantum release date. If that you is not at a JRPG. Save that for the Magic <laughs> Podcast. Mm. Um, and as for myself, I think the last JRPG I really properly enjoyed and got into was honestly Chrono Trigger. But I are mean, we talking chronologically again, or just when you played it? I, I really am. 
I really am. <sighs> talking chronologically. Hey! No, I mean, the getting Chrono Trigger on the DS, which was a gift from a friend, was... It, it has come to my attention that the, the stop and start nature of JRPG, JRPG combat works really well on portable systems. Mm. If, if I want to play a game where I'm going to flip the thing closed at, when the bus gets to its stop... JRPGs work for that much better than action games do. Assuming that the game doesn't rely on save points. That's true. And I, I am thinking 3DS style. Um, Even if it does. I mean, the DS is great at suspending a game when the lid's closed. Does it yeah. do that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. I've had this thing for fucking years and I had no well, idea so. how this <laughs> fucking works. You can turn it off. And to play a certain Zelda, you have to turn it off. But aside from that, by default, <laughs> it will suspend anything. Um, not GBA games playing on Virtual Console, I think. I think those it will not suspend when you close the lid. Yeah. But everything else. But yeah, the, just the, the point that I... The main time I play games that aren't on the PC, it's when I'm away from my house. And therefore, a small portable game that actually is also a very big game works out really well. Because individual stuff you do in JRPGs is you. Quite. And individual combat is almost pointless. Yeah, but if I get interrupted, just snap it closed, go, you know, do the thing. I think I've spoken about this when I brought up Fire Emblem in the past. Yeah. Um, like, the there was this push for, like, oh, it's legitimized again by being on the home console. Uh. But no, the handheld is the best place for that stuff. It works fantastically. Mm. And for exactly the same reasons as a turn-based JRPG works really well. Mm-hmm. It, it scales up really well. If I have... 30 seconds to 40 seconds I can do a bit of a combat Mm -hmm. but if I have to wait for a bus for 25 minutes I can roam around and do all sorts (laughs) of I have to be on a train for several hours I can get play done it's yeah yeah, it's like any amount of time you have will work well which is which is one of the things that phone games I've noticed don't do exceptionally well most of the phone games I found that I enjoy I want them to have very discreet packets of time and a very clear exit point they don't handle binging yeah I mean there must be some out there that do but for a lot of them Fall in London (laughs) except Fall in London does say Fall in London after about I think it was 20 minutes of play says go away go no I mean Fall in London you know it it wraps its it wraps its play up in you know nicely defined segments yes you, you know, you're going to have this... You're probably going to need this much time to play right now, so here you go. Hmm. Also, uh, Star Realms. Star Realms is really good for short play um, sessions. And when you lose in Star Realms, you do at least lose fast. <laughs> That's a thing suppose... games need... Uh, digital card games, if I need to do. Yes. <laughs> the slow bleed end is terrible. I wonder if that comes from... Um, I wonder if that comes from being based on PvP physical games, like... Because when you have another player on the other side, you maybe don't want to let the lost state happen too quickly because you want them to feel like they have the chance to fight back. Mm-hmm. But when when it becomes that that's against a computer, that's a totally different context. You just want it to be over. You never want to feel like a computer is bragging. <laughs> yeah, you don't want victory laps from a can you Can you imagine if in Dark Souls they danced on your body? Well, they do, so... <laughs> So, yeah, the ragdolling is a bit weird. No, I mean, the, 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 the mobs still go after your, still tr- train on your corpse, so they will dance on your body. Yeah. I never noticed that. The AI in Dark rapping. Souls isn't very good. Yeah. I guess I've normally seen the deaths happen either to bosses, which don't, you know, come Well, they just stomp anyway. around. <laughs> or by falling or by off fall- Most Dark Souls deaths are by falling off things. Yeah, that that happens a lot. This is this is something that I while, while we're you know finishing up for you, I really like while I'm watching these let's plays of Dark Souls. I realize that depressive, doleful tone of the game 
makes the bad AI make so much more sense. Sure does. It's a really, <laughs> it's a really well done theming thing of, I'm fighting this guy, why do his two friends over there stay completely still? Because they don't give a fuck. Because they're cops. They're, well, because... no, they're, they've given up and they've, the, yeah. the, the, the very existence of the Hollows is such that they have given up on everything. Yeah, the, 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 the whole reason why, the whole reason why, why an undead becomes hollow is they don't have a reason anymore. Oh, Radiant Historia, that was it. I was going to say, Pokemon doesn't count Radiant Historia as the last year RPG I really enjoyed. It's really cute. It is. It's got beautiful sprite work and that. I, I'm kind of a sucker for that. Like, if we're going to go by the last one I played that I enjoyed, like, you know, time-wise, then it's, uh, it's, um, uh, the one with the, the bomb, there you can drop the bombs on the people. <laughs> the one where you can drop the bombs on the people. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I keep wanting to say Breath of Fire 4, but no, it's not Breath of Fire, it's Wild Arms. Wild Arms. Oh! Oh yes, you got that on the uh, the PSN yeah. sale, didn't you? I think <laughs> I think the last one I played chronologically is Devil Survivor Two, and I have hit a wall in that game, <laughs> and I'm surprised by how hard I hit it. Tactical RPGs are a subject. Hopefully, Me- Mediocre Monster comes out. Yes, Mediocre Monster. That that's the one where you play a monster in a JRPG. You literally play a like mediocre get- monster, oh! and you build up yeah, the mon- awesome. the JR- you build up the grind, the JRPG monster hometown. And you have to make sure that you mm-hmm. give out the right loot when you get killed. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, you were telling me about it. And attack the right person if you excellent. get taunted and you get palette swapped. <laughs> it's like, oh, you're a <laughs> fire goblin now. Nice touch. I have nothing in line for an outro. <laughs> we had such a serious conversation towards the end of this. All the jokes have been used up at the top of the show. We've used up all the titties. The show is a little top heavy. Da 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 da. It's going to be a fucking mess to edit. We could just do an outro and you could put that on the end. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for listening to the Downloadable Concept Podcast. Boobs, titties, boobs, boobs, titties. That'll do. Welcome to the titty episode. Matt, if you have one titty in the opener and one titty in the uh, stinger, does that make the does that make the episode the cleavage? <laughs> <laughs>